Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church Conway. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. Thanks for listening. This last week, we, we decided we're, we're at this stage where the boys are old enough that we are wanting to introduce them to, you know, movies that, you know, meant something to us, right? You know, you, you, you kind of show them these movies, things that you have forgotten about, things they had never heard about. And uh, this last week, we, uh, for whatever reason, it crossed Jackie's mind, and we decided we were going to show the boys the movie Mrs. Doubtfire. Y- y'all remember that movie? I completely forgot about that movie. Com- like, like, did not happen in my brain. I had forgotten about this movie, and, and so we rent it. We're going we're gonna to show the boys, and, and uh, movie night, you know, family movie night. And uh, a couple of things happen. If, you, if you're not yet to this stage, then let me warn you, if you are past the stage, then you can testify that a couple of things happen in this scenario. One is, as an adult, you—, you you, you realize that these are not incredibly appropriate movies. There's, um, there's jokes and things that you're like, my parents showed me this, you know, and, and it just went straight over your head when you were a kid, you know, and now you're sitting there going, oh, I don't, I don't know, you know? And so that happens. The other thing that happens is that uh, you, you forget just how long movies used to be. Um, they used to make these movies like long, you know, and now a movie's like an hour, hour 15 minutes, and we're like, oh, is there an intermission? You know, um, this one was over two hours long, and I forgot everything about it. I just, I just forgot the storyline. I forgot um, some of the funny parts, some of the really fun, you know, like with his head in the cake, that, that part really kind of um, sticks out to me, but I forgot the rest of the things, you know, and uh, so this long movie, we decided to cut in half because it started getting late and, you know, it was like time for bed, you know, and so you guys got to go to bed and we're going to pause this. And I've got to say, uh, for you in the room, you're watching online, I got to say, this was weird for me. I, I, I can't remember the last time I paused the movie halfway through. You ever done that? You're watching something and you're just like, yeah, that's enough for right now. I'm going to bed. You don't do that, right? You finish a movie, books you lay down, series you'll put, you'll pick that up later. But a movie, we're just like, yeah, this is good. We're going to stop right here. And, and I walked away with this weird feeling like, well, how does it end? I mean, I kind of, I don't know how this movie ends. And I know I've seen it, but I do not know. It was this very weird uh, sort of play on not knowing the ending of what was going to happen. That was really kind of weird for me this week. And, uh, you know, what we're going to do today is actually in the book of Luke. We've been in Luke since December 1st, all right? We've been in this book for six months now, and today is the ending. We've, we've walked with Jesus through all sorts of things. Remember, it starts with the announcement of his cousin is being born, and then um, there's all the stuff that happens in the temple. We looked at some of his teachings through the series called The Parables. We looked at the way that Luke specifically builds Jesus and shows us who Jesus is in a series called Jesus is. Y'all remember that? There was also some one-off series and some things where we looked at uh, people like Zacchaeus and, and other heroes that come to light in that story. And we're looking at this night trial, all the things that happened around his trial and his crucifixion, those sort of things. And today we end that book. It brings us to the conclusion of how the story ends, what starts with a birth announcement, how will it end. In fact, without cheating, you wouldn't cheat, right? You're in church. You're not supposed to cheat. You're in church. So without cheating, how many of you know, you didn't read it this week, how many of you know, I know how Luke ends. Do you remember? 
It's a few of you, right? And all, a lot of us are in this room going like, I know I've seen this movie, but I cannot tell you how it ends. Well, that's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at the ending of Luke and kind of see how that applies to our lives, see how that all ends out. So before we do, let's pray together and we'll find the ending of Luke. God, thank you so much for your word and thank you for what you have given us in your word. God, I do pray for, for those of us who are gathered this morning that we would, we would make much of you in our minds and in our hearts and in our words, God, that we would seek ways that we can apply your story to our lives. That where we do not measure up, God, you would give us the strength, the courage, the faith, and the opportunity to be more and more like you in what we say and in what we do. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray together. Amen. So if you have your Bible, turn to the end of Luke. Luke 24. If we're going to look at the end of Luke, we ought to, you know, go to the end of Luke. And so if you have your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 24. I do want to mention this. If you do not have a Bible, we'll give you one. We have several, and we will give those to you. We also have um, some in the cafe. You can swing past there and grab one of those if you would like that. Or there's several applications you can use on your phone. If you're watching online, you can even pull that up in a browser. Um, version is one I like. Logos is another one that I, I really appreciate. Luke 24, 36 through the end there. Um, let me summarize it for you. You can hold your finger there. We'll look at some specific verses. You remember last week, Cleopas and who I think is his wife, it's a non-named other person, um, they find out that Jesus is alive through Jesus. They, they understand they have, so, they have a meal with him. They get so excited, they run back to Jerusalem. They find the 11 uh, apostles, that, that's minus Judas, right? And the others, their friends and family, they're all in this room and they're kind of talking about things and they, they bust in the door and they're like, he's alive, we've seen him. They, they have a story too. They're telling them the story of what happened with Peter and, and then Jesus is there. It kind of freaks them all out, but Jesus lets them know, hey, I'm alive, I'm not a ghost. See, I have flesh and blood and joints and I have, um, I have a body, I'm alive. Also, do you have anything to eat? And he eats um, some fish, so proving that he is alive. And that's really sort of the point. This story is a lot like last week's story. And Luke will do that. He'll tell two stories that have the same meaning in order to really emphasize that point. Jesus is alive. Then Jesus goes on teaching them some things about what has happened, what's about to happen. This, this is good. He commissions them all, and they're, they're pretty excited about it. And, and they go to the temple, and they're singing. They're pretty excited about what is happening. That's how this story goes. But I want to look at a couple of things in particular, all right? If you walk with me, uh, we'll, we'll look at some parts of the story in particular. First of all, I just want to point out the place at which Jesus walks into the narrative, the place that he finds them. And you're going to find that in Luke 24, 36 through 37. This is what the text says. It says, as they were saying these things, what are these things? That's the story that Cleopas was telling and they were telling back. As they were saying these things, he himself stood in their midst. We're going to come back to that. And he said to them, peace to you. All right? Big emphasis there. Shalom. Peace to you. It's a normal greeting amongst Jews, but this one's going to have even more impact in what's going on. But they were startled. So you have that underlined. You probably underlined that in your Bible as well. And terrified and thought they were seeing a ghost. All right? So this is a big excitement. They're all excited about that. They thought that they were seeing a ghost. The place at which Jesus walks into their midst there is this rudderless, emotional mix of chaos. That's how Jesus steps into the story. They are 
all over the place with their emotions. Just in this text here, you see that they are startled and that they are terrified. If you look in the next passage, the very next verse there, and while they were still amazed, in verse 41, while they were still amazed and in disbelief because of their joy. Now, I took that kind of quote out of the, the Bible verse that I found. I just wanted to show you all of the emotions that are happening in this room with all of these people. We go from terrified to joy to amazed to disbelief to hopelessness. All over the map, these people are feeling that. You ever been in that place before? Sure you have. You've, you've been there before. Anybody ask you, well, how are you feeling? And you're like, I don't know how I feel. I'm like little parts scared and little parts rage. You know, I've, I've got all of this stuff in me where, you know, like, like parenting can do this. Uh, marriage can do this. Just any sort of relationship can do this. You know, like I'm equal parts deeply in love with this person and equally parts would like to choke them. That's, uh, that's kind of how I'm feeling in this point right now. Can you imagine all sorts of different things that are happening, you know? All of those emotions, Jesus comes into that where they are so emotional, so all over the place, that they can't even, they can't even make a decision. They don't, they don't know what to do next. Just three days earlier, Jesus has died. He was murdered. And just this morning, some folks went to the grave and he's not there. And then you hear all these stories about Jesus talking and some people saw Jesus, some people talked with Jesus. And then these two run in, you know, there's all of this emotion that's going on. They don't even know what to do next. The plan has been derailed. The plan has been changed. What do we do? What do we do with this situation? They don't know. And that's where Jesus steps into this place of rudderless, emotional chaos. And then you'll notice back in the previous section there that they were terrified. That they thought they were seeing a ghost. Now this really, this really tickles me. Like just think about it for just a second on this whole concept of ghost. And it's not unwarranted, right? They thought he was a ghost. They just, they just freak out. I mean, just think of it. They were startled. They were terrible. They were easily uh, upset, right? Jesus appears there, and they think he's a ghost. And like I said a minute ago, this isn't unwarranted. Why? Because this very same day, this is after dinner, but earlier in the morning before breakfast, some folks went to a graveyard, and there wasn't a body there, all right? Any day of the week, that's going to start to freak you out, right? There's just not a body there. And then they all go up into a room and there's maybe a little bit of worry about, I don't know, Jewish leaders and Roman soldiers. They killed our leader. Maybe they're going to come after us. And so they're kind of locked in a room, not really sure what to do. All of that's happening. Cleopas jumps in and he says he's seen him. Some people have seen him. Some other people haven't seen him. This is all going on. And in the middle of all of that, while everybody's telling their stories, while everybody's all emotionally into it, you don't know what's going on, Jesus appears. And I've tried to really think through this in my mind. How exactly did Jesus appear? Was everybody upset and talking and there was all this noise? And so he just kind of walks in the door real slow, shuts the door, and he's standing over there for a few minutes before anybody notices? That's an option. Was he like just appeared in there really kind of, uh, you know, Jesus-like? He just appears there and he's standing there before he like nudges somebody and goes, can you believe this, you know, does that? I prefer to think that Jesus appeared in there he was sitting in a chair. There's all this emotion. And then he stands up and he's like, Ooh, just kidding, y'all. It's your boy Jesus, you know, like that. That's what I prefer to think. He's like kind of messing with them, but then he's not messing with them. And if you think about this, this isn't the first time Jesus has done something like this, right? Earlier in the Gospel of Luke, 
The town gets all mad at him, and they're all fighting. They're about to throw him off the cliff. They're really going to get on. And he just kind of walks through the crowd. Jesus does that. There's another story where they're out in the Sea of Galilee, and there's all these waves and winds and stuff. And Jesus walks out to them, and it says that they were terrified. They thought they were seeing a ghost. So there's this part of you that thinks, why do they, you you know, at some point when they say, ah, ghost, and Jesus is like, no, I've told you, I'm not a ghost, y'all. You know, I keep telling y'all this. Why don't they just go, ah, it's Jesus, because he does stuff like this, you know? There's this ghost element, and really what happens in the remainder of the text there, 38 through 43, in that section, Jesus is proving to them he's not a ghost. He is alive, which is why we have to be careful. You remember, uh, you ever heard anybody say, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost, right? I understand why people do that, primarily because of the King James, but ghosts are something that is dead, That's what a ghost is. Jesus is not a ghost. There's no Holy Ghost. There's a Holy Spirit. Because God is alive and God is a spirit. He is not a ghost. And that is impactful, right? That's important. That's undergirding this story. What Jesus is proving is, I'm not dead. I'm alive. Jesus is alive, which is one of the, which is the greatest truth and greatest reality ever to make a news alert. That Jesus is, is alive. And you would think at that point that Jesus beat death, that this would calm them all down, but it doesn't really provide a solution for what they're feeling, right? They were all upset because the plan had changed. They were all upset because things had not gone the way that they thought it would. And then Jesus is here and he's like, no, I did die, but now I'm alive. That doesn't really fix the reality of life. What are we doing, you know? People are feeling like, what are we about to do? And it's in that place that Jesus steps in with a plan. It's in that place that Jesus steps in with a plan. Look at verse 44. He told them, Jesus says, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. He says, I already told y'all about this. That's what he says. That everything written about me in the law of Moses, that's the first section the prophets, that would be the back section, and the Psalms, the middle, must be fulfilled. This is the Tanakh. This is the Old Testament. This is the law, the prophets, the poetry, all of the Old Testament. I already told you all this. It has been written down. When Jesus steps into this scenario with this emotional chaos, this rudderless, I don't know what to do, he steps in with a plan. But this is what's noteworthy, because it's good to have a guy with a plan, right? We don't know what to do. Somebody steps up and says, I have a plan. That's good, but this is what's noteworthy. Jesus doesn't step in with this plan that says, all right, y'all, this is what we're going to do. He steps in with the plan that says this. This has been the plan. Notice how Jesus says that. The very first thing that Jesus says is not, this is what we are about to do. The thing that Jesus brings to the place of emotional chaos is, this has always been the plan, y'all. You're upset because you think it didn't go the way that you wanted it to go. And that might be true, but this is exactly the way that God always had it to go. So he says the suffering, that was part of the plan. The death, part of the plan. But keep this in mind, the resurrection, that was part of the plan too. Jesus says, God the Father has always planned for me to go through this situation the way it went through and for me to beat death. So what Jesus says, and this is important for us, is step one is to remember that this isn't step one. 
Step one is to remember that this isn't step one. God has always been up to this, and it happened. Stand there. Start there. You see, they were all messed up because Jesus didn't measure up to their standard. He didn't do what they thought he would do. Remember, they're looking for a nationalistic, a politician, a a militaristic leader, and Jesus didn't meet that standard. But what Jesus is showing them right now in these two sections here, what Jesus is showing them was, I didn't meet your standard because I was doing something way bigger than anything you could have ever planned. Jesus didn't meet their standard, not because their um, standard was good. It was because their standard was too small. They pictured a hero coming in and setting up a long, healthy, powerful kingdom. God was up to something much bigger than that. They thought the plan ended when Jesus died, but God said, we're just getting started. They thought the plan had derailed, but God said they were right on track. They thought it was about the kingdom of David, but God says this is about the kingdom of Jesus. Jesus shows up to that place with a plan, and that is why Jesus can say in these words, more honest than anybody else can, peace, calm down. Not because he's telling them what's next, but because he's telling them God has always been in charge of this. That's how he brings peace into this rudderless, emotional chaos where they were standing and where we stand a lot of the time. That's what God does, isn't it? Haven't you found God to do this as well? You want God to tell you what's next. And all he keeps telling you is, I've always been in control. You don't get to know what's next. You know why? Because God knows what's next. But what you can know is that God has always been in control of this situation. There's nothing that derailed God's plan. There's nothing that caught him off guard. This has always been his plan. That's what he's up to That's what he gives us. And this naturally leads to a purpose. Look at verse uh, 46 through 48. He also said to them, This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead the third day, and repentance for forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed. See, he switches out that whole rudderless emotional chaos with a purpose. Because God has always had a plan, you now have a purpose. And what he says is all of that suffering, all of that death, all of that blood and misery and pain, that isolation, that ripping out of your heart, that emotional, um, just just a gut-wrenching feeling that you felt all of that was for a purpose. And all of it had a very good reason. And that was that anybody who repents and believes anybody who turns from their own way and follows God's plan, then they can be forgiven forever going their own way. That's what Jesus says. All of that meant. That's what Jesus says in that day. That's what Jesus says today. That for everybody, all of the pain, all of the hurt, all of the sacrifice that Jesus went through was for the purpose that if any of you would trust Jesus, you can be forgiven and accepted by Jesus. You can be forgiven and accepted by God. Beginning in Jerusalem, all the way around the world for all of time, that's you as well. If you will trust him and believe, then you have that opportunity to see him. You see, it is freeing for them to know their purpose, to know the purpose that all of that played, and that they will proclaim this, that they will, in the very next text, that they will be witnesses of these things. Knowing that God had a purpose to his plan, and that we play a purpose in that is 
freeing. It's freeing for them to know that it was not up to them in that room to figure out what to do. If you think about it, if we were all in that room, our plan has just been upset, somebody in this group is going to stand up and say, okay, here's what we're going to do next. We've got to figure this out. Let's make a committee. And then that committee will appoint people to another committee. And then they'll figure it out, you know. Let's do that. Let's figure this out. That's the way that we are driven. That's the way that we want to do. And what is so freeing is to know that it wasn't up to them to figure this out. It wasn't their concern. It wasn't all on their shoulders to fix everything. One of the most freeing realities in all of the universe is to come to the conclusion that I am not the Messiah. Would y'all say that? Say that right after I say it. I am not the Messiah. Man, that is so freeing for you to realize that the world has a Jesus and you are not him. That the answer is not you. The answer to everybody else's problems, whether it's in your workplace or your family or on the roundabout, is not you. They need Jesus, y'all, in all of those situations. They need Jesus. I am not the Messiah. This, whatever this is, whatever's going on around me, isn't about me. It isn't my job to fix it. My only job is to tell others to witness about the actual Messiah. And the crazy thing is that in that moment, all of this stuff just works out. If you have more than one child, um, you are going to eventually say this phrase. You are not their parents. That's, this happens all the time. If you're going into that phrase, you're gonna, it's going to happen. Or if, you have, if you've had children before, you know. Yeah, at some point, you've got to say, they have parents, and it's us, all right? It's not you. Leave them alone. Or if you have a child, maybe just one child, who is wired like I'm wired, like justice-oriented, at some point, you're going to have to tell that child, you are not the standard bearer for the whole planet, all right? Everybody doesn't have to meet your standards, right? Anybody's parents have to tell them that? None of y'all are admitting it. Like, my mom did, but she was wrong. Uh, my mom did. My mom did a lot. And all of us have to get to that point. All of us have to get to that point in our own lives and in our own minds that realize this. You are not the Messiah. The world has a Messiah. And our job is to point to that one, not to take his place. This is tidy. It's helpful. Y'all see how this all works out? Luke is a really great author. Jesus walks into a place where they are all emotionally chaotic and they don't know what to do. And Jesus says in that place with the emotional chaos, peace. I got this. I've always had this. I had a plan and there was a purpose to it. And now you're going to fulfill that purpose. Here's what you do. Go and tell others what I've always been up to. Go and tell others what I have seen. What you have seen, what you have understood, what you've been exposed to. Verse 49 says that they are going to receive a helper. He says, you're going to go do this and somebody's going to help you. Uh, and, and we call that the Holy Spirit, which is ironic. Pastor David pointed this out earlier this week when we were talking about the text. He pointed this out that when Jesus shows up, they're afraid he's a spirit. And Jesus is like, no, I'm not a spirit. But wait a few days, it's going to get crazy, all right? We're going to send a spirit and everything's gonna, you're going you're gonna to love that. If this is freaking you out, wait till that point, you know? So Jesus leaves with that spirit thing, and they love it. They get really excited. Uh, the very last three verses there, they get really excited. Jesus sends them out. They're excited. They go to the temple, and they're all singing, and they're happy. Joyful noises, joyful songs. This is a good ending. 
It's a happy ending. That, in a nutshell, is how the story ends. Luke starts in a pretty specific way and ends in a pretty specific way. And it's a decent ending. Everything kind of ends on a happy spot. It all gets wrapped up. And don't we like stories like that? I mean, step back and think of the Gospel of Luke, one of the best written pieces of literature in all of history. Think about it. It starts good, right? Like uh, there's some babies, some angels. That's good. And then it ends with singing in the temple. That's good. Sure, there's this huge bloody murder right in the middle of it, but it is overall a happy story, all right? It's just a happy story that we like. And we like stories that end that way, except for this. We know that that's not how the story ends. We know that they do actually go and witness. They do actually go and tell other people about it. The, the Greek word for witness there is martyr. Martyr. And many of the people in that room that hear Jesus, that are all happy, that are singing in the temple when it ends, many of the people in that room will actually give their lives to go and tell other people who will tell other people who will tell other people who eventually will tell you about what God has done and what he has always been doing. That's this encouraging, beautiful thing about the gospel of Luke is that it is not just some ancient story. It's not just some Jewish literature or or Christian literature. This isn't just the story of those people. This is our story. This story ends beautifully in that it is not over. It didn't end It was people who were witnessing and telling other people who told other people that eventually we would have the privilege to participate in the story of Jesus. And so when we find ourselves in these moments, as we often do, where we don't know what to do next, and something has come out of left field and it's knocked us off center, something has us feeling emotionally like, I don't know what to do with him. I don't know what to do with her. I don't know what to do in this situation or what step to take next. And if I take this one, what if that happens? And if I take this one, what if that happens? When we find ourselves in all of these situations, what is so freeing is to remember is that I can't fix this. It isn't about me. It isn't my job to fix the world. And it isn't even in my ability to fix the world. I am supposed to be a witness, to testify, to speak of what God has done in both my actions and in my words. That is what I am able to do. That is what I am supposed to do. If you let the Messiah be the Messiah and you be the witness in what you say and in what you do, it all works out, right? We get so frazzled. We get so upset and pulled and torn trying to make the world a better place, trying to fix everything that is wrong in this world. And isn't it ironic that the most impactful way that you can make the world a better place, that you can make an actual difference in the lives of other people, is to simply stop trying to be the Messiah and start showing people the Messiah. Stop trying to be the hero and in your words and in your speech, speech and in your actions, talk about the hero. You remember last week in the Emmaus Road when Jesus walks up to the two, Cleopas and his wife, he's like, what are you guys talking about? And they're like, oh man, have you not heard Jesus? Did you not hear the story about Jesus? He was a prophet, a mighty prophet before God, and he was strong. He was mighty in his 
word and in his deed. I think that's a very good template for us to apply to our lives. Both in what we say and in what we do, make much of God. My actions should express my trust in Christ. I love those who are unlovable. I sacrifice for people who don't deserve it. I am kind to the mean. I am generous to the stingy. I am forgiving to the unforgivable. Why? Because I am unforgivable, and yet he forgave me. My words are similar. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart always and only be centered on Christ, that I would tell people the truth, that I would tell them the truth in love. But this is the greatest way to be a hero in this broken world is to stop trying to be the hero and to point people to the actual hero. Did y'all hear about the, uh, the bus hijacking? Uh, a couple of weeks ago, May 6th. It happened in Columbia, South Carolina. Uh, tragic story, very scary. I mean, like, um, like, it grabs your attention. When you first, there were 18 children on this bus right outside of Columbia, South Carolina. And a young soldier from the nearby uh, military base, apparently going through some issues there, uh, takes a, an assault rifle and boards the bus, right? The bus driver, there's video of the bus driver saying, you can't be on this bus. But then the bus driver, of course, cowards away from this gun. And he's standing there, and, and uh, apparently he meant no harm, but he wanted to get to the next city. And, and regardless of what he meant, it's still scary, and it's terrifying, right? As he, as he commands that the bus driver take him to the next city, and he didn't want him to stop at lights, he doesn't want him to stop at all, just take me to the next city. That's what he was pushing for, irrational almost. At some point in the story, at some point in the occasion, the, um, the, 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 the hijacker, the young man there, he, he wants to get control of the situation. So he has all of the children move up to the front where he is. 18 students, most of them in kindergarten, all right? So he wants to move them all up to the front. There's the bus driver, and then he pulls all these 18 children up to um, the front of the bus. And it's a tragic story, but there's a little comical edge to it in this. 18 kindergartners are going to do what kindergartners do, all right? And so while he thinks he's moving them all up here to the bus to watch them, he actually moves up 18 questioners up to the front of the bus. The bus driver says that they just start asking questions. And because, you know, they're kindergartners. That's what they do. They ask questions. And they say, where are we going? How long are we going to go? How long is this going to take? Are you going to hurt our bus driver? Are you going to hurt us? What's your name? Are you a soldier? All sorts of questions to the point where it says, the bus driver says that eventually he got so flustered that he just pulls the bus over. Or he asks the guy to pull the bus. He gets them all off the bus. All the kindergartners and the bus driver, and he takes the bus uh, about two more miles down the road until he is apprehended. It, we can kind of smirk at it and at the same time say it's a terrifying story, right? It's a terrifying ordeal. However, we just know, man, that's what kindergartners do, all right? So they just asked him too many questions. And any of us that have ever been around a kindergartner know the feeling of wanting to just pull over to the side of the road and let them off and then keep going, right? I mean, I hope I'm not a bad person for saying that, but I have felt that feeling, right? The bus driver was quoted as saying, and I think this is really cool. It really illustrates the point. The bus driver was quoted as saying, all I kept thinking about was I had precious cargo and my whole goal was to get them off of that bus well. That was his whole goal. 
It wasn't all the other things that you might be thinking about. When you're driving a bus, there's all these safety rules. He wasn't thinking about any of that. It wasn't like, well, if he looks this way, I'll grab the gun that way, or I'll do this. He wasn't thinking about any of that. I have precious cargo, and my whole goal is to get them off the bus. It's amazing how when you center in on the things that matter, everything else just becomes clear. When you center in on the reality that Jesus is our purpose, and our whole goal is to just speak and to show Him, everything else becomes clear. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.